This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. All right, let's talk about Anthony Weiner. Should we? Oh, God, this guy is so gross. But it looks like, you know, strike three and Weiner is out. I mean, literally, his Weiner was out and his wife caught him again. Uh, my question, though, is why in God's name did his wife, Huma Abdomen, what took her so long to, you know, toss this creep aside. Uh, over the weekend, if you haven't caught the story yet, Weiner, who a uh, high profile on the Democratic side, he was a former congressman. He ran for mayor a number of years ago in New York, but he was once again caught in a sexting scandal. And this one by far the, the grossest. I mean, he's a vile guy because as he's sexting, you know, with this half-naked woman, you know, all aroused in his bed in his underwear... There you can see his toddler, like his two-year-old child, sleeping beside him. And he even acknowledged to the woman that his child was sleeping beside him. Who does that? I mean, you got to be seriously creepy. Yeah, the sexting aside, do whatever you want, but why would you do it with your child sleeping right beside you? It was so disgusting. But I guess this is the straw that broke Huma's uh, back because she just issued a statement saying, quote, after a long, painful consideration and work on my marriage, I'm separating from my husband. But that she and her husband would remain devoted and do what's in the best interest for our son, who is the light of their life. So you were a little cheese, cheesed off that your husband was getting horny with your child just inches away? I got to say, I mean, my little one is just slightly older. I was disgusted. It was really, really gross. All right, so why do we care? Why does what Wiener does with his Wiener matter? Well, in the United States, they're in an election. And, and Huma is a major player in the Democratic Party. She is Hillary Clinton's most trusted aide. So she's very, very high profile. And uh, so this is, I mean, for the Democratic Party, the last thing they need is more bad headlines and certainly not because of creepy wiener. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, who's a principal uh, in a PR company as well, a columnist with the Huffington Post. Good to talk with you again. Hello, Alex Pearson. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for uh, coming on because I know you've written about uh, Anthony Weiner. And, and I certainly, I tweeted this out last night because I was so grossed out by it. And, you know, people started kind of coming back to me and saying, why do you care? Why does it matter? What He did this a while ago and, and, and he sexted before. Well, first of all, he sexted, you know, got caught sexting for the third time with a child in the picture. To me, I'm like, is this even legal? Um, you know, but, but his wife is very high profile and they're in the middle of a presidential election. Well, you know, uh... I don't even, I can't even fathom why he would try and do this again. It seems like he's, he loves to do things in the face of adversity and maybe get some sort of adrenaline rush by uh, trying to get away with stuff. But a couple years ago when, he, when this all first broke and, um, you know, we saw, and we all remember the, um, the TV show, The Good Wife, mm-hmm. and where Alicia Florrick stood by her man, even though, you know, when he was caught with prostitutes. And, and you know, when I wrote about this a few years ago, I was pretty strong in my opinion that this whole stand by your man uh, doesn't really always need to apply. Yes, there are some women who will do that if their spouses cheat, and maybe they'll still do it after they do it over and over again. But I said the political atmosphere tends to add some sort of other layer that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense in that, you know, if we are not seen as being together, as upholding, quote-unquote, good American values and the institution of marriage, then this will absolutely forever damage my political career. So stick around with me and uh, let's just play this out. And that's basically what she did. Yeah, but there's one, two, I mean, three times. I, I, I have to think it's because, well... A, because it was three times. But if I catch you doing that stuff and my kid's in that picture, I mean, you're not just out. You're, um, you're going to be buried six feet under. You know, he tried to resurrect his political career um, with another uh, a campaign 
uh, last year, and he actually documented it in um, and for a documentary for everyone to see. So it seems that he has, you know, this need to put himself out there, to be seen, to be put in the spotlight, no matter what the cost. And trust me, the documentary was not flattering, even though he had commissioned it himself and agreed to be part of it. So it, it seems that he has some sort of insatiable desire to be in the media spotlight, for good or for bad. But the interesting part here is, is that, you know, whether or not Huma Abedin really wanted to stay with him, the fact that she is now so closely tied with the hierarchy of the Hillary Clinton campaign, and Hillary is a very, you know, pro-feminist, um, you know, she is everything that Donald Trump is not, and she stands for very particular, you know, f- empowering the female American values, that for Huma to actually stay with Hillary's campaign would have done perhaps today, because it's always a different news cycle tomorrow, today um, some serious damage. Okay, but then (laughs) I'd have to point out her husband, who I call Slick Willie, isn't exactly husband of the year. I mean, and he's... maybe Hillary's been giving her advice, saying, "Listen, you <laughs> don't know, be me. Uh, you know, listen. You know, your husband Anthony Weiner will never achieve the presidency, so the stakes are not as high." Uh, listen, I know I've been through it. However, you have to also remember there's been a long-term working relationship between Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin that stretches at least over a decade. Yeah, well, they, they, sure they've the got a very long relationship. About this ad nauseum. Yeah, for sure. But but she herself is not without um, criticism and or, you know, she's been a, a part of the, the media conversation now for the last uh, little while because, of course, it's been, you know, she's accused of being linked to the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, some of the emails that are coming out uh, that Hillary Clinton uh, had deleted have her, you know, it's been revealed that she was in publications that spoke against America, that blamed America for 9-11. So she herself is not without controversy. Well, as a lightning rod, you know, every political campaign sort of takes that on and decides, you know, how much do we have to worry about this? Is the worry factor big or is the worry factor small? So right now she has not been a lightning rod. So when this type of thing happens, she all of a sudden becomes a lightning rod for the exact issue that you just outlined, Alex. The other thing that's interesting about Huma Abedin, as I wrote a few years ago, is that at, at one point, she was really a rising star in the Clinton administration, which is, you know, quite a while ago. And she was also named one of Time magazines in 2011, 40 under 40, as a new generation of civic leaders. So, you know, by marrying and staying with this guy, she sublimated really her own rising star for his, quote-unquote, political fortunes. And while she does have this very important, um, in the background, uh, pulling the strings uh, position within the Clinton um campaign right now, that, you know, really, she could have become much more than than she was. Yeah. And so where does this, I mean, this this story, I think, is in its infancy. I mean, I saw it, it was posted on the New York Post. So it's kind of like uh, the the Toronto Sun of uh, in America. So it's one of these papers that kind of gets big headlines, lots of attention, but no question, mm-hmm. it is being read by everyone today about his sexting, seeing the pictures of his child, uh, you know, while he's in his underwear doing whatever. So I don't think this story is going to go away. It's going to go through the media cycle for at least a couple of days, because once again now, um, Alyssa, we're talking about, you know, misogynistic, piggish men uh, that not only, you know, Hillary Clinton herself, I mean, it opens up Hillary Clinton now to scrutiny about her own husband. So this becomes, I think, a bit of a narrative for the next couple of days. Well, I think the Trump campaign will definitely jump on this narrative because that's what uh, politics is politics is really all about, is about feeding the news cycle with which with something that um, detracts from your own flaws and points out the flaws of your opponent. For the past couple of weeks, Hillary has absolutely enjoyed that with gaffe after gaffe after gaffe by, the Trump, by Trump and by his campaign. So now she may well take it on the chin in addition to all this reporting that's going on about the Clinton Foundation and access to the State Department. Um, you know, holding on to a narrative is, is really an art. And I would have to say that if this does burn for more than 48 hours, I would be surprised if the Clinton campaign didn't come up with something else. Because what happens now is, is what they try to do is, okay, what can we come up with now that changes this narrative mm-hmm. and deflects it from us and back onto Trump? 
So that's what we're going to see in the following days. If it lasts three or four days, I would be surprised because, you know, world disasters really get off the front page after four days. This new cycle burns so quickly. So it'll be interesting as we watch to see how this all plays out, how long it will last. Yeah, and you bet that the uh, Clinton campaign is likely digging up who this woman was because already it's starting to come out that, you know, she's a Trump supporter. And I'm talking about the woman on the other end of the sexting. So now they're trying to paint her as, well, this is a plant. She's a Trump supporter, a member of the NRA. So certainly this was all done, you know, very much on purpose. So I I foresee that as the coming narrative that this was just all a big plant. It's getting juicier and juicier, Alex. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the right choice of words. However, well, <laughs> but but again, you know, you know there, there will be salaciousness. Of course, it is. It's salacious. But this is the kind of stuff that people pay attention to. This is the the kind of narrative. You know, they don't talk about Syria, the red line. They won't talk about you know necessarily ISIS. But people on the street, the everyday person, this is what will catch their attention. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the most successful political campaigns usually jump on a very simplistic narrative that people don't have to think about. So if you look at how the um, the, the conservatives stayed into power, for example, for many, many years, there's a very good article in the Global Mail today about the simplistic attack ads from um, the Harper Party, you know, the conservative party, that really just spoke to a very easy narrative to understand. He's just not ready. Ignatieff is a really a stranger. Um, They were very, very successful at that. Now, the Republicans are especially good at this. However, you know, the whole Republican Party is not necessarily behind Donald Trump. But for better or for worse, uh, he is their nominee and they do have to support support him. So it will be interesting to see how they continue to project that narrative because they understand exactly what you said. This is what people are going to talk about. They're not Mm -hmm. going to talk about the heavy issues. They're not going to talk about policy. They're going to talk about this little salacious tidbit that will either catch fire or not catch fire. So it is up to Hillary's um, campaign group to really squash this quickly, to uh, discredit it, to discredit the woman, and to move on to a different narrative. I think it's going to be tough, though, given that Hillary is flouting this feminist uh, narrative, because uh, I, I don't see her as a feminist. And I certainly think, you know, when we've had the conversations, just the, the philandering ways of Bill Clinton. I mean, it's, I think it's very, very difficult for Hillary Clinton to, to speak about feminist issues, given she stood by her man and some pretty terrible accusations. And then you've got not not just an aide. Now, Huma Abdomen is is her go-to most trusted confidant, and, and not once, not twice, but three times. She has stood by this this vile guy, not my, my well, choice. I'll give you an example. When I wrote this article about Huma decrying yeah. this whole stand by your man, I got some pretty negative backlash, which came from women who said, you know what, first of all, it's none of our business to talk about her. Okay, well, that's fair, but I happen to think that it was. And the other thing that they said was, is that it's not necessarily do we need to leave our partners after a single discretion. And I got a lot of heat about that about women who will either look the other way or decide to work through it. So you would be surprised about that narrative. And that's Mm -hmm. the one that will probably, is already on the page right now, I'm sure, in terms of their crisis communication planning. That, you know what, yeah, I tried to make this work. A lot of women would have tried to make this work. And, of course, they probably know the stats on that. So they will play out that narrative. So even though you say, well, you know, Hillary is a fine one to talk. The whole stand by your man narrative has a lot more weight among people and among a large group of women than we think. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I, I happen to think that because their child was in that picture, that that was the straw that broke uh, her. I I mean, I I just don't know any woman in their right mind who would be. I question them standing by the first and second time. But again, once you put your child in your fantasy type stuff, that, that, that that's just I don't even know if it's legal. I was curious in my head. I was thinking, could he be charged with 
you know, exposing his child in some kind of sexual. But I don't know what the laws are down there. But I, I, I'll look into it because it's, if if not illegal, it's it's super creepy. Well, it's it's really really creepy, and like, especially since he acknowledged it in the text uh, when he said, "Oh, guess he's just climbed into my bed." I know, which had some sort of salacious undertone to it. I know, like see what I can get away with while my child sleeps. I, I find that just it's uh, like pretty vile. unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, serious <laughs> judgment uh, questions to pop up. Alyssa, always a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on, Alex. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. I want to talk about a story that uh, happened over the weekend. And uh, what do you you call it? Another case of uh, wrong place, wrong time? I don't know. 61-year-old Toronto grandmother, Peggy Ann Smith. She was shot and killed early Saturday evening. So we're talking dinner hour, 6 o'clock. She was caring for her grandchildren. So a totally innocent bystander caught in a hail of bullets outside a housing complex in Toronto's East End. And I I hate that saying, wrong place, wrong time. Why couldn't Peggy, why couldn't she be there? Doesn't she not have the right to go outside of her home and feel safe? Does she not have the right to feel like she can, you know, stand on her porch, look around, without the fear of being gunned down. That's why I hate that saying. She had the right. She should be able to do that. Any of us should be able to do that. Not since uh, 2005, the year we called in the media, Summer of the Gun, have we seen so much gun violence. And now we're way past the death toll back in 2005. We are way past the number of deaths. Gun crime now up over 200%. And we still have months to go. And so we get into this debate now following this woman's death over the issue of things like carding and the fact that without it, we seem to be seeing gun crime go up. Now, critics will say, not true, not true. They're not, they're not linked. But if you, if you ask a cop, and we will ask a cop, or the cop unions, they say that, you know, officers across the board in, in, in Ontario are having trouble. They're confused, feel somewhat powerless, not being able to keep track of, of the gang movement and how guns are now moving around. Let's start this conversation off by bringing in Joe Warmington of The Sun. Because, Joe, great to have you. You, uh, you know, you popped into my mind because you write an article pointing out that nothing shocks us anymore. We just kind of hear this and it's like, eh, oh, well. Yeah, it's pathetic, and of course I've written this same story over and over and over, and I have for the last, you know, whatever, 10 years. And you know who didn't have the right to do something, and that's the the police. They don't have the right to go, and let's say they were to see a couple of these young thugs on that street a few minutes before, and and say, what are you doing here? Can we see your ID? Or just say hello, even. They, They don't have that right because it's been taken away by weak, weak, weak politicians that are, you know, responsible for a lot of this, and Again, I'll keep pointing it out until, uh, you know, I know it'll change once it hits one of the politicians, kids, or grandmothers, then then we'll uh, get some change. But until then, you know, uh, sorry, Peggy Ann Smith, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time in your backyard on a summer night. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I hate that cliched saying, and I wish people wouldn't say it, because as well, far that's as... that's why we're saying it, because, you know, that's why you said it, that's the whole point you, Alex, you did so well there. Wrong place at the wrong time in your backyard on a... 100 degree summer night are you kidding me mm-hmm. yeah i mean you point out that we have replaced summer of the gun with summer of death because you know there have been 272 shooting incidents and that is that is up very very high it's been a lot of knifings too and obviously the crossbow business and you know it, when you've got governments running deficits and you've got liberals running everything and they're okay with it in fact if you want to have someone like yourself or myself or a Ross McLean or any of the people that point things out and try not to be personal about them, but say, what about this or what about that? If you shut all that down and you, you sort of put it into this sort of complex of, you know, liberal, conservative, NDP, what you end up is having nobody able to discuss anything. They're afraid, they're bullied. And then you've got, you know, basically us in a situation where people are dying all over the place. We had a little, uh, as you know, and you covered it, the uh, baby that, was, uh, you know, the uh, Candace uh, Bob, Rochelle Candace Bob, and her little uh, son, Ty, uh, Kyrie, 
he was, uh, you know, obviously she was killed. They tried to save the baby, three weeks old. And now we've had a grandmother. So mom, baby, grandmother. And we're not even upset about it. We're talking about everything but that. We're talking about Colin Kaepernick and we're, you know, that whole business in the States. And we're talking about uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's trip to China, things like that. And yet this is in someone's backyard. It's going to come to someone else. Somebody listening now is going to get it. And, you know, nothing will be done then either, unless it's one of the politicians' uh, kids. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned those high-profile uh, cases, including the pregnant woman who's killed, um, and of course her baby was still in utero and didn't survive. You've got Ariel Navro, who was the young woman killed outside of a Toronto nightclub. Uh, again, no one knows who did it. You know, we're not getting any information. But I tweeted out this this shooting over the weekend, and I asked, does her life matter? Because certainly no one from Black Lives Matter is coming out and saying, you know, her life matters as well. I mean... No one seems to be saying much about no, this. They're missing an action on anything constructive. I mean, basically, whoever they are, I mean, they shouldn't even really be covered. They should all be arrested, just like you or I would be if we're going to block traffic somewhere. But the gutless politicians and the politically correct police are all about that. And so you have critics, and you don't have very many of them. The media has basically given up the, the ghost. The social media is out there. Some good ones, like our friends at the Rebel, trying to do their best. But... Most of it, though, is people just shouting you down, you know, if you even point anything out. So we've got a crisis here, and again, they could say, well, yeah, I, I ran into that with the arrow, bow and arrow thing last week. People say, how many bow and arrow accidents or, or murders have there been? So why even worry about it? Just one. It's, it's rare. But that's not the point. The point is that I didn't know you could walk into any store and buy that and walk out. And of course, it's not the crossbow's fault or the hunter's fault, because they do... You know, they do that hunting legally, and the responsible ones are, are great. The problem is that the ones that can go in there and, and get it. So, you know, again, um, I, I really am upset. I don't know if you can tell. I feel bad for Peggy Ann Smith, for her grandkids and her kids, but I feel bad also for all the people that live around there knowing that they're not going to catch these people that did it. No one's going to say anything. There's going to be no answer from government, just like the Ariella. You know, we've mm-hmm. got this big superstar Drake guy. He was there. He was uh, not very far away from the shooting. In fact, he may even have been the intended target of the, of the shooting. And yet, has he talked to the police? No. Did he get to the key to the city? Yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you speak a lot of truth. And uh, again, I, I like I you. I still like his music. Yeah. I mean, my son loves it. That's all he wants is Drake on the radio. I love his music. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about doing what we need to do to protect regular people. Let the police be police. You know what? If they've offended somebody with their carding thing, so the hell what? Get over it. And all this racism, racism, every time you turn around, it's ridiculous. I mean, look, at we'll deal with the real racism issues. We'll deal with all of that if they come up. But you can't turn around every time you, you have a, an incident with police and say, well, they're racist. They've got a big job to do. And we're cutting their resources. We're giving them so much red tape, they don't know what to do. They're run by liberals. They're not allowed to be police officers. They're all about religion and everything but what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, this is what you get, a weak society with record numbers of shootings. You say, well, it's not Chicago. It's not as bad as Chicago. I don't even know what that means. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, a grandmother was gunned down Mm -hmm. in her own yard. Come on. Joe, let me keep you on the line because I want to bring Jim into the conversation who has either a comment or a question. Hi, Jim. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, with not having CHCH News on the weekend, I'm forced to watch a lot of Toronto news. And I am flabbergasted at the amount of shootings. And I don't want to be pointing fingers, but there are many, many immigrant groups in this country. And it only seems to be a focus of one immigrant group that has all this gun violence. I'm not in huge favor of mandatory minimums because I think every case is unique. But when it comes down to if you're found in possession of an illegal firearm and you're found guilty, five years. No ifs, ands, or buts, five years. If you commit a crime with an illegal firearm, that's even pointing it in the face, let alone letting off a round or two or killing an innocent grandmother. You get the murder charge, 20 years, and then consecutively, not concurrently, another 10 years. And that's how you get the guns out of the streets, outside of the crackdown at the border and stuff and the 
uh, illegal trafficking of the guns, you make it very serious that if you're found with an illegal gun, five years, gone. Yeah, Jim, thanks for um, calling in, and I think you bring up an interesting point. And, and Joe, I don't think, you know, we're not hearing the kind of conversation, but we certainly had it last week when we heard that Tyshawn Riley was brought out of jail to go on visitation to his father. He was, of course, a, uh, the leader of the Galloway Boys, which was a pretty big uh, gang in Toronto. But the gang activity with the Galloway Boys, as well as, uh, you know, gangs itself, whether they're Asian gangs, they're, uh, you know, black-on-black gangs, they still are very much in existence in the city of Toronto. They're branching out. And without carding, police are not able to watch where the guns are moving. So they feel emboldened to carry those guns around. Yeah, and then the whole racism business, and even the caller was, you know, alluding to this whole thing. And it's very dangerous because if you say one wrong word, you do or I do, then you're labeled a racist and, and basically they pile on you. And, of course, that's not the issue. I don't even know what color this grandmother was or what the suspects are. I really don't, and it doesn't matter to me. What matters is that innocent people are being killed. And, you know, we had the Eaton Center shooting, and then nobody wanted to talk about it being gang warfare. And, of course, just about an hour before that, there was a shooting just at a park a few blocks uh, away from there. And it was all, you get one shooting, you get another one right away, and then you get another one a day or two later because it's related back to that one. And it's all related. And the police and, you know, you talk to any police officer, you have them on the show, you know lots of them, they'll tell you. They basically know who, you know, within a, a few people are responsible for all of these things. What they don't have are people prepared to stand up and say it was that guy. And the reason that they're not prepared to stand up and say it was that guy, because they know what it means, a bullet through their head and no one can do anything. If we were to give the, the court the power and the police the power to say, okay, if you do testify and you get this guy put away in prison for this thing for a long time, there's a $10,000 or $20,000 or even, you know, some sort of a witness relocation. Maybe not like the way we thought of it is to move somebody to Timmins. They don't want to go to Timmins. But maybe move from Regent Park over to, you know, Mississauga or something else like hey, that. Hey, Hamilton's a great transfer town because you're right by the Buffalo border. And, uh, sure. you know, Hamilton's a lot cheaper to live in than than a big area like Toronto. But, but I mean, you know, again, there's nothing being done. Yep. No one ever does anything about it. The politicians are missing in action. And this did happen. And, you know, this area, you know, the other thing, too, is about public housing. I mean, I don't know how it is in Hamilton, but TCHC is uh, is pretty uh, pretty rough place. And, you know, our children are growing up in there. We both have children. Uh, and, you know, you know how hard it is already. You know, society, how it is. Can you imagine the kids growing up around all this? I mean, that's a disgrace. How do we even look ourselves in the mirror? And, yeah. again, say, well, what's the solution? Well, the solution is to stop calling each other names, I guess or calling everybody racist who has an idea, and sit down and say, what is it? Because I'll tell you what is racist. Racist is that people are dying. It doesn't matter what race they are. It's only one race, the human race. Yeah, I, uh, I tend to agree, and I think it takes some honest uh, talk. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Have a great day, a good safe day, and a good week. It looks like a beautiful week. You too, Joe. That's Joe Warmington who writes in the Toronto Sun and essentially saying today, you know, this this doesn't even shock us when we hear of a completely innocent person mowed down in the streets, broad daylight, essentially, you know, 6 o'clock, the dinner hour, minding their business, and and, the, and they're shot. And it's not the first time, it's not the second time, but it's happening to the point where we're not shocked by it anymore. And one of the areas you see this happening is is in public housing, which in Toronto it's a problem because they create ghettos where all you have is public housing. Whereas in Hamilton, it's more spread out. You don't get these ghettos. You don't get these areas where just impoverished groups of people live en masse. I want to bring in Ross McLean to the conversation because he's a former cop and, of course, Knows a lot about the issues of policing in today's climate. Good to have you, Ross. Good to be here, Alex. Certainly, um, you know, Joe's uh, got his perspective on, on what's happening. You know, we're not calling this summer of the gun. We're calling this summer of death. And uh, I don't think you can discount the, you know, and a lot of people aren't talking about it because it's not politically correct. But crime shootings, not killing, shootings have gone up 50%. Uh, I have to think that as unpopular as it was, the fact that carding has gone away, we're not able to get the intelligence we once were. Am I wrong? 
No, you're completely right. And uh, Joe nailed down uh, so many of the points that need to be covered. And, and look, there was a, another shooting uh, just in, we don't know if it was in retaliation to this grandmother being shot, shot, but there was a shooting in Rexdale the other night. A car was pumped full of bullets. Guy got shot in the foot. Uh, the police are saying they don't know how the guy didn't get killed being shot in the car. So that could have been uh, one related to this one the other night. We don't know. But Joe's right. They, these gang shootings usually come in twos. So uh, people aren't shocked anymore. That's for sure, Alex. So what do you do about it? I mean, how are we going to, um, you know, figure this out? Are we just going to continually say, nope, the shootings are going up, but it has nothing to do with uh, not carting? I mean, gang members are being emboldened to move around and no longer hide their weapons because they know that the police cannot stop them. So it's not as scary for them to stick a gun down their pants or, or hide it or whatever. They just move them around. And so... How do you solve this? How do you get the intelligence on gun movement if you can't approach anybody? Well, people are going to have to speak to their politicians because what, what's happening now is you've got the policing that the politicians want to give you. Once again, they didn't do this with a consultation with the people of Ontario. Uh, they did it listening to Black Lives Matters, uh, shouting some uh, racism here and there and a bunch of false statistics. And so they decided to take away uh, the ability of police to card which is, like I said, it's turned into a caricature of what carding is. It's proactive policing. It's knowing who these guys are. I guarantee you the people who shot this grandmother, there's two, maybe three suspects, I guarantee you this wasn't their entry-level crime the first time they've done anything illegal. I'll guarantee you the police, if they don't know who the people are, they will know that they're known to police once they find who they are. And the police have to have the ability to go in and deal with these people. And I think, as Joe was pointing out, if you lived in that area and you're a mother and you're forced to be in there and you're raising a child there, you want the cops in there to get those guys out of that place. But guess what? Once again, the politicians are dragging their feet. There was supposed to be a report, I believe, Alex, done up by the TCHC in the city that was going to be designed to show how to get people who have got weapons offenses, drug dealers, and all of those out of TCHC. But they haven't figured out how to do that yet. It's only been a year or so, Alex, and they don't know how to do that yet. Well, I mean, so so what are police saying behind the scenes? Are are they saying that this is kind of, you know, their hands are tied as far as, as solving this? If they can't card, what are they going to do to get the intelligence that they once were able to gather? And I'm not suggesting that I thought carding was perfect. I, I mean, there were obviously issues with it, and I'm happy to have them dealt with. But I think to discard it altogether, uh, I, I think it's going to be become problematic. It already is problematic. And look, what the police are doing is here is they're doing what they're instructed to do. They don't go up and talk to anybody unless they've got a legal right to go up and talk to them, or they have to ask their permission. Now, in the States, you know, what they're doing down there, they've been doing for the last year, is the term we all know as FIDO, forget it and drive on. They've decided that they're not going to go into these uh, places and risk their own lives. They'll just come in when the bodies are dropped and do the chalk outlines and do the reports. That's why you're seeing homicides up all over every major city in the U.S. They're up everywhere. We have them up here in uh, in the Toronto GTA area. They're up in the Ottawa area. They're probably also, I haven't looked at your stats, probably also up in Hamilton because the police have been told not to be proactive in their policing with no real consultation on the issue. And uh, that's what we're faced with now, Alex. So what is the next step then? I mean, who is going to take the leadership on this? You know, in Toronto, there's a black chief, Mark Saunders. He could address this. I mean, he, uh, I think more than anybody, could take a leadership role on this. But will he? Well, he's taking leadership role right now in doing the uh, the modernization of the uh, Toronto Police Force, which is it's really just a budget reduction exercise. You're going to see there's going to be less cops on the street. You're going to see police are going to be responding less and less to different calls so that they can get their budget in line. I'm not sure how that's going to help to get the murder rate down or how that's going to be discussed. So if there is some room for leadership there, perhaps he could stand up and, and say what he wants to do about this. Right. And I would think working with other municipalities, because whatever Toronto decides will certainly, uh, you know, it will spread across the province. So Hamilton, Mississauga, Toronto, every jurisdiction will eventually follow what Toronto does. Uh, more than likely. And what you're going to see is, is going to be less police doing less for you, dealing with less crime, not being proactive and going after the bad guys. And you're going to see the crime shoot up. When you call for a cop, they're going to say, it's very nice, go to the webpage, go to the station, and fill out your own form for doing it. Uh, I, I think we're really missing the boat here. Uh, but to get back to the real point about all this, th this is all these innocent victims that we're seeing all over. Uh, the GTA, you have them in Hamilton, they have them in Ottawa. We've got record numbers here, and I don't see them going away. I really don't.
No, and inevitably, I do think that some kind of form of carding, some kind of balance will have to be struck because I just don't I don't know how police are supposed to investigate and gather that kind of intelligence that they need to to watch gang movement and or to see and watch weapons, which we know, Ross, are traded around on the streets. So you can have a gun like the gun that was used to kill Jane Kriba that had been used in several other shootings. You know, that's what they do. They pass these weapons around on the streets. You know, it's it's very hard to get the intelligence on it if you can't have officers talking to people of all colors and all, you know, on the streets. Well, I'll tell you, the officers uh, do know who, who these bad guys are. They're, they're not getting the proactive intelligence, as you say. They, I have talked to intelligence officers who see that the guys now, whereas they used to hide the guns a lot, now they're just carrying them because they know that there's not so likely that they're going to be caught with it. So the police know who the bad guys are. Even Chief Saunders said at one point when this murder rate started taking off this year, he said, look, we know who's responsible for most of these murders. We just don't have witnesses who are going to come forward to help us do the case. Yeah. And, you know, this ties right back in again that the, the police are the, the bad guys, the police are the racists, don't talk to the police, resist the police. Uh, you know, all this talk from a small group that I, I just find to be quite radical and not very honest with the truth most times. Stay tuned. Ross, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Alex. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. I got one question for you, Patrick Brown. Are you trying to lose. What are you doing? And I'm asking this question because in just a couple of days, so on September 1st, folks in East Toronto, so a very, very important riding of Scarborough Rouge Valley, they'll be heading to the polls in a crucial by-election. Why do you care? Well, because you're paying for it. But more importantly, I look at this as a referendum on the Liberal Party, on Kathleen Wynne herself. And so, you know, if you know the riding at all, this is a major liberal stronghold. Literally, if if Win loses, this will show that folks are pretty ticked off. And if Patrick Brown wins, it would be a huge breakthrough in the 416 because the PCs have been absolutely shut out of the 416 for years. So this is all very winnable for Patrick Brown. And he should be able to win it on something as simple as the economy. The lousy economy. Hydro. I talked to a couple of different people this weekend, just average workers, just just general people that just don't have a lot of money. They don't have huge houses. And the conversation, as it does, went to hydro. Both of these people are paying over $1,000 on their last hydro bill. I got our hydro bill last month. It was 650 I don't know how. I can hardly afford this. I don't know how these people are going to afford it, but th- this is the conversation being had. And so I look at a guy like Patrick Brown and say, that's all you have to do. Hydro, hydro, hydro. But I almost drove off the road when he announced on Friday, late in the day, it was discovered that he would, oh yeah, scrap the controversial Ontario sex ed program. Because, you know, that's what people are talking about. Can't pay my bills. Can hardly afford to turn on my heat, my, you know, my, my air conditioning or do my laundry. But gosh, that Ontario sex ed curriculum is a huge problem. Now, I'm no fan of it. I think it, uh, it did not have nearly as much consultation with parents. So I, I, I wasn't a big fan of it. But my God, PCs, when will you learn? When you play to these stupid social issues... You lose always, whether you're talking about faith-based schooling, you just lose. And so naturally, when saying how dangerous this is, how dangerous this would be to remove the curriculum. So we're not talking about all the liberal scandals and all the billions of dollars in losses or the horrific record. No, the media narrative is talking about a silly wedge issue that isn't an issue. Anyway, that's how I feel on it. Let's bring in Christina Blizzard, who, of course, is watching this all very closely for us. She, of course, writes for the Toronto Sun. Hello there. Hi, Alex. Did I strike the tone? Am I being fair? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I find it a bit rich when uh, the Liberals put out uh, Education Minister Mitzi Hunter this morning. And she's saying, oh, well, you know, (laughs) what a flip-flop. Oh, like a Liberal has never flip-flopped during a by-election. Oh, like Mitzi Hunter, 
who also got elected in a Scarborough by-election, didn't do a massive flip-flop on her support for subways. She was against subways until she was running in a riding that really needed subways. So I think that it's a bit rich. Plus, don't forget, former Premier Dalton McGuinty, he flip-flopped on the first attempt at revamping the sex ed uh, curriculum. Mm -hmm. So, and you know what, Alex, the other thing is that it was the liberals who turned this into a wedge issue right from the start because, you know what, they brought this to the legislature. You don't bring the math curriculum to the legislature for a vote. No, they knew that the social conservative wing of the conservative party would go a little bit crazy, and that was what their hope was when they brought in this new curriculum. So they had a vote on it in the House. You don't need to vote on this in the House. And it completely backfired. I mean, you remember last year they had these protests, and in Kathleen Wynne's own writing, half the students in one school stayed home because the parents didn't were protesting this sex ed curriculum. Yeah, but look, I mean, look, whatever you think of it, I, I, I think there are just so many bigger issues than this. And I... I get why he's doing it. That riding is, of course, uh, there's a, a, a high l- uh, level of new immigrants, a lot of Muslims. The sex ed curriculum in particular was very, very unpopular. You've got people in that riding uh, who are not sending their kids to school because they are so against it. So is this strategic or is this short-sighted for him? Because, again, you don't want the media narrative being hijacked by these wedge issues when there's just so much uh, meat on the bone against, you know, the liberals. Oh, I, I, I think it's, I don't know why he's doing this. I was out there in the writing, which was how I sort of stumbled across this story last week. Oh, so um, you're to blame for this. So I'm blaming yeah. you for putting well, this I out was, there. Well, I was, I was talking, I went and interviewed yeah. him uh, or his candidate um, in in that writing, um, Raymond Cho, and his co-campaign chair is Doug Ford. And I, I, I had no idea that sex ed was the issue, uh, an issue at all. I thought it would be subways and, as you said, electricity. And I just started talking to, um, to Doug Ford and he said, oh, and he rattled off a whole bunch of things. And then he said, and sex ed. And he said, it's such an issue that Patrick is going to be putting out a letter tomorrow. So I, you know, at that point, you've got to find the letter. So uh, so I was absolutely shocked. I was just dumbfounded that they even raised the issue of sex ed because it's been in the classroom since last September. And as you say, transit is such a big issue out there. And the whole question of affordability of things like the, the price of electricity, these are massive issues that even the fact of why we've talked about this before, Alex, why is there a by-election out there in the first place? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Balkazun resigned under these very mysterious circumstances that, you know, no one's talking about. And, you know, suddenly we're on a sex ed curriculum. But- I don't know. This is, uh, you would have thought that, and I had, I, I was, it was my understanding that the conservatives were doing very well. It is a liberal writing, so and it's it's very solidly liberal. But what we were hearing was that there could be a good, strong three-way split there. Right. Okay. So then it would make sense you give you know yourself a bump in saying we'll get rid of the sex ed stuff, and then you get these people uh, you know going there. But it'll come back to haunt him in another year and a half. But you know you you touch upon why we're even having this by election, and it seems that the guy who vacated it, Buzz Balkinson, no one's ever looked into. No one seems to care that this just this guy just up and left. And of course, it was announced the day that Rob Ford died, on a day that the Liberal government knew it would get zero media attention. But we still have no idea. I mean, this guy could be, you know, a madman for all we know, and he's just up and left. But no one has got that story. Exactly, and it's not for want of trying. I know. Yeah that uh, The Sun has tried. In fact, uh, we, uh, our reporter, Sean Jeffords, uh, managed to track him down, and, um, and Balkasun hung up on him. I know of other TV reporters who have um, spent a lot of time uh, knocking on doors trying to get an answer. It is, not, it is not for a lack of trying. 
there I, I understand that Scarborough Mirror has quoted him as saying that he wants to, you know, be stay home with his, or he wants to spend more time with his family. While well, you and I both know what that means. No one wants to spend more time with their, <laughs> that much time with their family. <laughs> well, what I heard was that um, that he was summoned to Premier Kathleen Wynne's office for an interview, came back in an absolute fury, stormed out of the House, and has not been, uh, the legislature that is, and has not been seen since by anyone in, you know, in any substantive sighting at Queen's Park. We have asked the Premier, we have asked, uh, you know, we have pushed as far as we can. It's, you know, why is that? That should be another huge issue. And, of course, Balkasun has not been seen at all in this during this by-election, which is most highly unusual if he had just was just stepping down because he's tired or retiring or whatever, you would think he would be giving a bit of a boost to uh, the liberal candidate. But no, he has not been seen. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. And I, uh, we've got two or three days more before this by-election, so I don't think it's going to come out. Again, the transparency non-existent with this particular government. But I'm looking at a guy like Patrick Brown uh, and Andrea Horvath and saying, this is this is yours for the taking. You literally can't screw this up. I don't understand, you know, how you would possibly lose this by-election going up against the Liberals. That That is how much they have ignored the needs of that community. That is how much they have not done for this community. The fact that they're even in the running shocks me. Well, it's, yeah. Well, I I. I don't think you can underestimate just how much of an entrenched, entrenched liberal writing that is. However, it has, um, you know, it does have a very significant Tamil population, very significant uh, Muslim population, um, and clearly, I, I mean, they told me that this was an issue they were hearing at the door. I know in some parts of Toronto, there have been a whole bunch of private religious schools that have popped up. We saw what happened in Thorncliffe Park, where um, the cafeteria was being used in a public mm-hmm. school in the afternoon on Fridays for, for Muslim prayers. Uh, you know, there are uh, you know areas of the city where the sex ed population and the sex ed uh, curriculum is a huge uh, is a huge issue for a lot of people, and clearly Patrick Brown was hoping. I think it's a. I suspect what's going on here is that it's a very tight race, and he's hoping he can just get a, a small bump in in the numbers in a by election. It's all about getting out the vote, especially you know in the dog days of summer by election. It's all about getting out the vote, you know, getting people motivated to go uh, to go and vote. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it might be a bit of a risky strategic move uh, short term, but I would have to think that Brown is getting a lot of blowback today by a lot of people. You know, myself, a lot of people are saying, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Are you screwing this thing up again after John Tory? You had Tim Hudak. Is Patrick Brown, you know, have they not learned the lessons of the past? I would think that if they pull a stunt like this in the 2018 election, uh, I almost think people will go crazy. Well, yeah, don't forget, he. I mean, as you say, though, he does have time to recover, and perhaps that's his strategy. I mean, mm-hmm. he was presenting himself as a new progressive, progressive conservative party leader. He was marching in gay, the gay pride parade. He was, you know, uh, presenting himself as a very different kind of leader. So, I don't know how much of a setback this will be, or if it's going to be a setback, because the other thing is he is uh, he spends a lot of his time, you know, reaching out to communities where um, the conservatives have not been very strong in in the past traditionally, and it's an area they know they have to um, sort of strengthen ties with. So perhaps that this is all part of that. Um, you know, a lot of uh, new uh, New Canadians, new um, you know, new immigrant groups that come and that perhaps have different uh, different ideologies and different concerns, and and perhaps this is his way of um, keeping in touch with them. I don't know, but 
certainly in that writing that that is a very key issue. Sure. And for people who say, you know, what, I don't know anything about Patrick Brown, I always say he's got a very, very, very good ground game. He is strong on the ground. He gets out in the community. So there's no question he's got the game down. The problem for, for a guy like Patrick Brown is, you know, no one knows who he is. You know, yeah. he, he's not out there. People question, you know, is he excited? Is he funny? Is he nice? Like, who is he? And I think he's got to get out there on the radios. He's got to let people across this province know who he is and what he stands for, or, or he's going to be in, in trouble. I, I I couldn't agree more. I think it's, um, I'm, I'm wondering what his strategy is. You, you see him active on Twitter going to a lot of, um, you know, meetings with a lot of different people in various communities, but you don't see him on TV, you don't hear a lot of him, as you say, on radio, He uh, and I don't know what his strategy is. In this campaign, it's very interesting because, as I said, Doug Ford, the uh, you know brother of the late Rob Ford, is uh, his co-campaign chair mm-hmm. out in this uh, riding. And Doug Ford, the Ford name out there, is absolutely gold because of their support, the family support for subways to Scarborough because transit is such a key issue. So I think they are just pulling out all the stops, trying to just get as much support on board as they possibly can. So it's, yeah, it's, it, this is this is a very uh, hotly contested uh hotly contested election and the NDP is also quite strong in that writing. Healthcare is a big issue in the writing too. There's some hospitals, hospital wait times are are big issues and I think that they're just uh, just going after everything. Sure. And of course, uh, this by-election is one of many being held across the province. Of course, Tim Hudak uh, left, so Niagara-Glambrook will be coming up. Uh, we've got uh, a high profile Ottawa, in Ottawa. Ottawa so it, are, they depend- are they waiting for the results of this before they call these next by-elections? Well, I, no, I, I think um, uh, Tim Hudak didn't resign until after this one was called. And the Ottawa Vanier one, I think there was, um, as I understand, there was a little bit of um, a misstep about the liberal candidate um, because um, I think federally that writing is um, going to become uh, vacant. And I think that uh, my understanding is there may be a sort of a misstep that may have been a misstep, so they put it off. You would have thought it would have made sense to have had that by-election at the same time. Uh, Madeleine Mayer resigned. She resigned after Baz Balkazun, so they don't have to call it for another couple of months yet. But there could be other there could be other liberals resigning. There's been chatter. There's been there's always whispers that some of the longer-serving uh, MPPs may just decide to call it quits rather than wait for the next general election. Um, there's been rumors about um, uh, Monty Quinter in York Center, um, even Joe Dixon in, um, a- I think it's Pickering Ajax is the name of his writing. So there could be there could be more by-elections. Um, Mario Sergio even... Um, who knows? Uh, but uh, yes, of course. Now, now that Tim Hudak, he hasn't actually doesn't actually resign. I think until um, uh, a week after the the ledge comes back. I think he set the date about September twelfth, so that I'm suspecting he can you know give his farewell speech. It would kind of be nice if these folks could just finish up their job instead of making the taxpayers continually pay for these by-elections, but uh, oh, what do I know? But uh, before I let you go, uh, if you had to take a guess, uh, a forecast, uh, how do you see uh, the first of this by-election? What do you see the results coming in? It's going to be a squeaker, is my prediction. I, it's, it's a tough one to call. I think that they've got a very active campaign with what I saw. Um, out with, with the conservatives, so uh, I I I say it's going to go down to the wire. Hard to call in a in a liberal riding, but I think that the PCs may just have it. All right, we'll wait and see. Christina, thank you. My pleasure, Alex. The Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on AM nine hundred CHML.